Welcome to the podcast. Today we are going to be talking about uh, this week's gospel uh, readings um, or the lectionary readings uh, for this week. I think it's really interesting. Uh, this week and last week uh, have to do with why Christ teaches his people in parables. And we thought that dedicating a whole episode to uh, this week's um, lectionary readings would be pertinent, seeing that we like to talk about the nature of stories, uh, the nature of symbols. And and so when we all looked over these readings, we thought that we should dedicate an episode to these readings. And so, uh, yeah, like I said, last week, uh, our Lord in uh, the Gospel of Matthew explained why he taught in parables. And this week, he uh, expounds on that meaning again. Uh, and so we get a nice little meta-narrative <laughs> meta, uh, from Matthew uh, on looking at the nature of parables. So <clears throat> our readings begin, um, the first reading is from taken from Wisdom. And uh, there is a passage in here that kind of sets us up for the reason why uh, teaching in parables is really... Uh, well, I would say the best way to teach. I mean, if our Lord mm. is using this method, then it has to be <laughs> the exemplar way of teaching. For sure. And so uh, in this first reading from the Book of Wisdom, Wisdom chapter 12, verses 13, uh, and then 16 through 19, the reading says, And you taught your people by these deeds, that those who are just must be kind. I think this phrase... You taught your people by these deeds that those who are just must be kind. Gets at uh, gets at part of the reason why teaching in parables is so powerful. When Christ is trying to explain, like the to re- the, the kingdom of heaven, or just reveal God to people, mm-hmm. he's trying to uh, show them these deep truths that are universal and are, for lack of a better term, uh, intangible, right? Uh, Things like virtue, Mm -hmm. things like truth, uh, love. These are concepts that on on first glance, we might be familiar with them. You know, they're they're, they're words that um, we hear almost on a daily basis. But in reality, we don't know what they look like unless if they are grounded to something tangible. Mm -hmm. And this is why I think the Book of of Wisdom is getting at this idea that you taught your people by these deeds that those who are just must be kind. It's in the just man's kindness, in his actions, that we know what justice is. Mm -hmm. And this ties very nicely into the gospel, where in the gospel we're given three parables about the kingdom of heaven. And at first glance it's kind of odd that we're just bouncing between these parables one after another. Um, there is a shorter version of the gospel that just deals with one of the parables. Uh, and, you know, that's fair. If uh, if a pastor is time limited, <laughs> he can read the shorter version. Uh, but I think to actually get at the um, idea of why the church chose this um, section, this gospel, you, you always, in general, always read the long version. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so in a long v- version, we're given... A parable about the kingdom of heaven. The first one. Then the second parable, Matthew just goes right into it. He says, he proposed another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. 
goes through the mustard seed parable. Right after that, he spoke to them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast. And so <clears throat> we're bouncing through these parables mm-hmm. about the kingdom of heaven. There's a couple of in- interesting things to note is that, first of all, why does he have to talk about so, like how, the kingdom of heaven, he gives three stories mm. where it's like, is one story not sufficient? Right. Like, what, what are you getting at here? Um, he goes to them pretty quick too. They're just like, it's like this, it's like this. It's yeah, like that's, this. yeah. yeah. It's, it's almost abrupt. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. And so after the third one, uh, Matthew says, all these things, Jesus spoke to the crowds in parables. He spoke to them only in parables to fulfill what had been said through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will announce what has lain hidden from the foundation of the world. Going back to this idea in wisdom, that the just must be kind, that Mm -hmm. that's how our Lord teaches people by these deeds, that our Lord, again, is revealing things lain hidden from the foundation of the world, these immaterial concepts Mm -hmm. and these universal truths that have to be incarnated <clears throat> it's all, it's very interesting. I'm sorry. I'm a little sick today. So if <laughs> if I'm clearing my throat a little, you know, um, so we're all roughly. we're all actually yeah, I know, but Meta- metaphorically and physically, <laughs> we're all a little sick. We're, we're all broken deep down inside. Um, but you know, truth um, does not stop at sickness, and so we have to mm. keep going. Push through. <laughs> you push through. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, it's interesting that you know this incarnational idea of wrapping these concepts that again we hear these words they're immaterial and universal but we wrapped them around something tangible mm-hmm. that's who god is period right in, in the person of christ mm-hmm. it's like we say that the fullness of revelation is christ and that's because he like christ has become embodied i mean god has become embodied mm-hmm. in the incarnation and so just as we know god through the incarnation so, too, are we able to grasp at things of God through incarnational stories, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Even on a, like, just practical, <clears throat> imaginal sense, not imagination like fake, but imaginal like the area where your mind holds on to these ideas. Um, if you were to think about justice, you're immediately incarnating it into examples of justice. Mm-hmm. So you mm-hmm. can't just like think yeah. of justice without the incarnational idea of like, well, what does it look like in reality? So when right. Christ is trying to bring this revelation of the kingdom of heaven, it's like, I'm going to point to aspects of reality that point back to that. Right, right, exactly. Um, I, I, I'm thinking of uh, Aristotle's principle... A thing is received according to the mode of the receiver. Oh, mm. yeah. That's that's a good that's, principle. Yeah. It's a, a yeah. classic <laughs> Thomistic, Thomistic principle. Yep. <laughs> um, but I think what that means is is it says something about us, mm. that Christ is speaking in narrative because that's how we can receive it. Yeah, right. Um, so, like, two things. One, that's I think that's how we understand reality, it, even or at least unconsciously, mm-hmm. is that we're telling a story and narrative to ourselves about our lives and about... Uh, things around us, but also uh, that we we can't receive the totality of of eternity right, yeah, <laughs> and yep. and the kingdom of heaven mm-hmm. uh, without Christ telling it telling right. us this way because yep. he he knows us and says okay this is how you can understand it so I'm gonna I'm gonna give it to you yeah. mm-hmm. in that form that's a that's a really good principle to bring up because that's how we learn in general um, we 
we don't come to this is and this is maybe more epist, uh, epistemology, uh, but you know, in order to know universals, you have to know particulars, mm. right? And so, you know, to know a book, what a book is, you have to see a real book, and then you're able to abstract the universal, and then apply that to mm-hmm. books in general, right? Um, <clears throat> and so, yeah, that's um, that's a really good point. I'm glad you brought that up. Well, it's just it's not just abstract principles. I think mm-hmm. even Jung talks about this with a uh, Nicodemus about being born again, and mm-hmm. how Nicodemus is, says, "Well, how how can a man once born reenter his mother?" Mm, yeah, um, and Jung takes that as Christ trying to get him to think symbolically, mm. uh, because yeah. we're, we're symbolic creatures, but also that uh, we. We, we can't understand without examples, to right, your point, Matt. Right. It's like you don't just understand justice right. like abstractly mm-hmm. kind of out there. and You have to have some sort of concrete incarnate right. example in, yeah. or, in order to, to get right. it. Right. And that's um, in that passage where John is talking to, um, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus in John 3. Um, I, I mentioned this, um, that, that passage is explicitly in last week's um, homily. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's one of my favorite um, passages in the Gospels, where our Lord says, if I tell you about earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? And so, like, you have to understand the natural. You have to understand these symbols if you hope to understand spiritual reality. Um, we're not angels, right, that are just, like, disembodied spirits. Yep. We're, you know... And then, like Thomas would say, on the nature of angels, like they're intelligent beings in the sense that they don't need to reason to things. Uh, they just know things as they are. Like mm-hmm. they're able to grasp universals without um, material, mm-hmm. uh, uh, material means. Uh, and so as human, like we have to incorporate our bodies into ways of knowing. Um, and that's what stories do, ultimately. That's what parables do. Right. Um, in, in teaching using parables, our Lord is allowing us to see things from different perspectives as well. Like this is, this is another point too. We can, there's lots of facets to why our Lord teaches in parables. Um, But again, if we are comfortable with words like love, friendship, virtue, truth, justice, uh, we could fool ourselves into thinking that like we, we get these concepts like mm-hmm. we grasp them like mm-hmm. uh, you know what, what more is there to know but i think a, a story at its best takes these truths and magnifies it by wrapping it in a narrative mm-hmm. so that we can see things differently like right. you know before like watching lord of the rings for example or reading lord of the rings you know we all knew on some level what friendship was or is uh you know, I had friends before I read Lord of the Rings, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> contrary <Really? laughs> to popular belief. Um, but when you see Frodo and Sam going up the mountain, Mount Doom, mm-hmm. and, you know, Sam carrying Frodo, you see friendship from a different light, mm. you know? Uh, even if you understood that, yes, fr- friendship is sacrificial and it's for the good of the other and you're both aiming towards the good. All those things, again, are just a little bit intangible until you actually see it incarnated. Right. Um and even more than um, beyond stories, like when you live it too, mm-hmm. like, you know, that's your story, that you're living out your friendship. And to, to, to know friendship, like that word know, not just, mm-hmm. un, like, not just um, you know, dwell on it as an immaterial concept, but mm-hmm. to experience friendship mm-hmm. through your, the, a narrative of your own life 
then I believe you begin to understand understand mm -hmm. that idea. I wonder too if there's like uh, something about hearing the three parables, not necessarily that they're three, but the fact that they're multiple, as you were saying, Father, because um, we we never get tired of the hero's journey, mm -hmm. right? And so it's like if you hear one story of a man who goes out on a quest and comes and like kills the dragon and comes home. It's like to say that like I understand the hero's journey because of that one story is like no. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Here's another version of it. And and then you realize that you hear different versions and what they're all trying to get to is something that's beyond the stories themselves um in a type of gestalt of the hero's journey yeah. that you're really trying to grasp at. And so you continue to hear and read and watch instantiations or embodiments or incarnational examples of the hero's journey to get at the hero's journey, which is beyond the stories themselves. Yeah. Right. And so like there's that's what Christ is doing when he's saying that the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, but it's also like yeast. And it's also like the seeds mm -hmm. thrown mm -hmm. on the on the field. Yeah, yeah. He's trying to get at the kingdom of heaven, which is more than just the sum of those stories. Yeah. Um, and I think that. You know, in the back to the, you know, what you were saying and like grasping even the idea of a book is like you have to, you first, when you're born as a child, you're looking at books. Mm -hmm. You're looking at many books and then you're kind of piecing together the idea of book. Yeah. And that's how you get the universal. Right. Is by seeing all the instantiations. You're looking right. at cups and you're just like, okay, that's a cup and that's also a cup, but that's also a cup. And so maybe, maybe, maybe I'm getting a clearer idea of what a cup is. Right. That's what it means to become like a child again, to think symbolically, is to receive these things as nodes to get to the gestalt of the thing you're trying to grasp. Right. Um, and so, like, we to, to reveal what's been laid hidden since the foundation of the world is to grasp at reality in that way, to see all things as pointing to something beyond themselves, yeah. and then to see and understand everything like that. Right. And what's really interesting about, it, about epistemology... Uh, of grasping universals um, is that you can see hundreds of books and read a lot and you understand what a book is. And it may seem like a small thing, but I think it's really fascinating that when you come across a book that you've never seen before, you still identify as a book, mm -hmm. right? You see the universal beyond the particulars. Like right. You've never encountered those particulars before. And mm -hmm. yet you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that that is a book. And maybe you right? see like a small book that's like this big like an, a two inches big, and you're like, oh, wow, that's also a book. That, like, changes my idea of what I thought books were. Yeah. And then now you're reviving your ideas of these universals. And so, again, that's, like, why storytelling is so important and, and thinking symbolically because it's always challenging your narrative around what these things are, yeah. and you're constantly modifying it to get closer and closer to the right. real thing. Now, I don't want to um, – I, I think that there's a danger in – it would be a false way of thinking, but I can understand how someone would think like this, that – well, if you're constantly needing narratives to get at this like single concept of truth, then does that mean that we can even know truth, right? Mm. To say like I know something, mm. and I think you know, I'm not a relativist, so of course I would say <laughs> we need to you know we can know truth, but I think it's important that we can we we know that we we can never exhaust it, right? Mm. Um, there's a mystery to truth, but that doesn't mean that we can't know truth, and so. There's a, like you said, becoming a child to experience these things again. Uh, it doesn't mean that like we're just, like truth is inaccessible. But it means that there's a, a certain wonder that we have to have in the face of truth. That which can be known, 
but not exhausted, mm. if that makes sense. Yep. So, yeah. Yeah, <clears throat> going back to the, the, the hero's journey, um, the, the only reason why we even have that like term is because you, know, you, you look at all these different narratives and that's at the, that's at the core. These motifs are at the right. core of it. So that, I think Christ is telling these multiple stories to exactly your point, Matthew. It's also like, in case you didn't get, in case you didn't get it this time, right. here's another one. In mm-hmm. case you didn't get it that time, here's another one. Yeah. But if you, if you put them all together, this is the kingdom of heaven. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a certain essence or form or uh, like motif right. to it. And you're right to say that you know, these are truly symbolic because they point beyond themselves. Mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. These narratives point beyond themselves in the same way symbols aren't, aren't supposed to end at themselves, but get right. your mind to think beyond. So the symbol of, of the mustard seed mm-hmm. or the wheat in the weeds are to get your mind to not end there, but to go right. further. Yeah. And there's always um, a different facet of those things that we can appreciate. Um, so like, again, it's just like that, that. I think it's really important to understand that truth gives us a different perspective of things that we are familiar with. Um, mm. Or sto- right, stories give us perspectives, different perspectives of things that we're familiar with. Right. Um, and it does seem like it's the role of kind of taking this into like the role of art and artists is to experience the world, experience mustard seeds and experience yeast and making bread and then start to be pattern recognizers. Yeah. And you start to pull these gestalts out and then then you re-infuse that into your own creation. And then insofar as you can do that, that's what makes it good art. Yeah. That it's now reflective of those same patterns. Right. Um, and that's kind of like the responsibility of the artist to be paying attention in that way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, that's why it's interesting. In last week's gospel, um, our Lord gives us uh, another reason why he's teaching in parables. And it almost seems a little contradictory on the face of it um, when he when he explains himself in this week's gospel. So I'm referring to the 15th Sunday of Ordinary Time, year A, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then the 16th Sunday of Ordinary Time, year A. So the 15th Sunday of Ordinary Time, year A, he says, this is what our Lord, this is our Lord's explanation to why he speaks in parables. He says, this is why I speak to them in parables, because they look but do not see, and hear but do not listen or understand. Isaiah's prophecy is fulfilled in them, which says, you shall indeed hear but not understand, you shall indeed look but never see. Uh, mm. And even before that, let me see if I can find, hold on. Um, before that, it, it almost, it, it appears like he's trying to hide things from certain people. Um, and again, it's, uh, it sounds on the face of it contradictory to uh, this week, in the 16th Sunday, where he's saying, I, I will reveal things that are, have been laid, hidden, right? Mm-hmm. Like, isn't the whole point is to reveal things right. to everybody? Like, wouldn't you say it explicitly if, yeah. if you're trying to reveal these things? Right, exactly. And, but he says also, um, in explaining why he's teaching in parables, he says, this is why I t- teach again in parables, because knowledge of the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven have been granted to you, but to them it has not been granted. Mm. It's almost like you're like the people he's preaching to that will gain this knowledge are the ones worthy to receive it. And he's hiding these things from people who, right. who are not worthy, in a sense. Um, but I think the people who are like not worthy, if you want to put it that way, is are the people who just want to grasp things without stories in a sense, mm-hmm. right? Uh, 
you know, I think people who would say, well, why do we need stories? Like, oh, like, why do why read literature, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Or why appreciate art? Uh, I just, it, it, this is not practical. Like, I just want to get at the thing and mm-hmm. um, almost, like, gra- like, grasp it in a, in a, um, in a mechanical way, mm-hmm. almost, or a utilitarian way. Whereas I think stories allow us to come at things more naively. Right. Where it's like, again, that, that sense of wonder, um, if that makes sense. I think yeah. I'm rambling a little bit here. But. No, yeah, definitely. It's definitely some, there's something there about, because I've, I've been thinking about that gospel reading too. And um, I feel like the, the first time I read it or the first time I like meditated on it, it does seem like there's some sort of like, I have secret knowledge for you. This like kind of esoteric mm-hmm. read of yeah. like I'm trying to hide this from you. I have to talk to them, so I'm just kind of rapping like I'm just giving a secret message, but you guys really get it. Yeah, and I think I think it's more about what you were saying, Lee, with Nicodemus, in that like he's trying to get them to understand and see differently. Yeah, you know what I'm saying like right, right. they they see but do not, or they hear but do not understand. So it's like, what does it mean to understand? Yeah. What does mm-hmm. it mean to see? And there's this type of receptive, receptive receiving of all these things that are trying to point to something beyond themselves. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's like, that's the way you see, that's the way you understand. And he's trying to get them to do that. And it's not necessarily that he's hiding it because it's secret and he's not going to tell them because they don't get it. But that's necessarily what will happen to people who don't see and understand. Right. right. Um, this, that's why he says, like, to anyone who has more will be given and to anyone who has not, even that will be taken away. It's like, if you only see things at a material level, that's all you're going to see. Yeah. And that's it. Um, and so, like, if you see things as symbolic of, like, wow, like, yeast is actually pointing to something beyond itself, it's, like, that's going to infinitely apply apply everywhere. everywhere. Yeah. And you're going to yeah. have more and more and more information to constantly fine-tune your thoughts about reality. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, even what Jung says in that passage, that Nicodemus was thinking materially. He was thinking carnally. Mm-hmm. And, and Christ wanted to think spiritually and uh, yeah, immaterially. So Christ, you're, I, I think you're, you're really on to something there, Matt, and I, I definitely agree that in these parables, Christ is trying to move them in that direction, but mm-hmm. knows that there are those who will only... He's almost getting into the nature of, of seeing and believing. Yeah, yeah. You know, what, what is it? You know, seeing is believing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, uh, the, the nature of perception is such that you, it's not enough to just see. Right. And it's not enough to just mm-hmm. hear. Mm-hmm. He's getting at a totally different um, uh, meaning of those words. Yep. And and he knows that there are some who will receive mm-hmm. and there's some who, who won't. Um, not in a Gnostic sense. Right. But certainly it could be interpreted that way. Yeah. Yeah. What else? There was something else I had and it's a... I lost it. It'll you were back. talking about in your homily, you were talking about um, understanding to stand under. Yeah, and that's something that you brought up mm-hmm. before. Um, but right, in order to really, in order to really know things, you have to be comfortable with the fact that you don't know things, <laughs> <laughs> which it seems like a contradiction. It's very uh, Socratic. Mm-hmm. Like all I know is that I know nothing. Right. Uh, I think Socrates is actually a really good example of. Um, pursuing truth because he's asking he's constantly wondering at the nature of things uh in his dialogues he's asking questions about like what is piety what is justice mm-hmm. what does it look like here and, and he's constantly digging in instead of just saying 
I know what justice is and giving you a treatise on justice. It's it's interesting that Plato writes dial- the, the dialogues uh, as a kind of story, mm. right? Like as a dialogue, as in um, he's teaching us in a way that almost Christ taught us. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's these dialogues between two people. Uh, it's these stories that, you know, historians argue whether or not they happened if Socrates was real. Um, but that's not the point is mm-hmm. that, you know, these are narratives that help us get at something. Um, and while Socrates does go on, um, you know, r- rants for lack of a better word, <laughs> um, you know, he, he does teach and he does make proclamations that are um, absolute. Uh, there is a sense of his wondering mm-hmm. uh, uh, in the face of truth. Contrast that with the sophists, um, mm. you know, his, his, um, his, his uh, main, the main enemy mm-hmm. <laughs> of his life, who loved to pretend that they knew everything and like they were grasping at things, but they were just, they were empty. They were, they were empty of wisdom. Yeah, that is interesting because I, I do um, think about that as like, uh, again, back to the, like the role of an artist in the difference between art and propaganda uh, being like this kind of presentation of like, I grasp this now and I'm going to tell it to you. Yeah. Like I know the answer of what this means and now I'm going to tell you in my version as opposed to like a re a representation representation of the things you've been wondering at. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's like maybe this also has something to do with the hero's journey, for example. And like you're presenting another angle at yes. which we can all wonder at. Yeah, As exactly. opposed to be like, no, 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 I got the idea of the hero's journey. Here it is. I'm going to explain it to you. That's, then it's, it's yeah. explicit and then it becomes propaganda. Yeah. There's a, and I can't find it. I've been trying to find this for a while now. I've, I I did a presentation on Dante's Paradiso um, in seminary. And Dante has this wonderful line, and I'm going to butcher it because I can't find it. <laughs> I'm just going to say it. <laughs> but he says something about the nature of being a poet. And he says something along the lines of, this is all I am as a poet, uh, expressing things that have been first breathed into me as wonder. Mm. Uh, and it's exactly what you were talking about, mm-hmm. that things that have inspired him, that have made him wonder. And then he's just telling people, like, this is what I'm wondering at, right? Right. Um, this is why it kind of, um, kind of bugs me a little. Not, well, it doesn't bug me, but you know, when when people sometimes, sometimes, some people, some people, <laughs> tell us what you think. <laughs> no, some people think, you know, like because of my homilies, like they're like, oh, father, like that's you know very insightful, like you're very wise, mm-hmm. and I'm like, I'm just telling you what I'm interested in, mm-hmm. you know, like I, I would not dare to say I know what this is, and I'm like, you know, yep. imposing it on you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if, if I ever give a good homily, I think it's because I'm just interested in these things too. And I'm trying to get at this thing along with everybody mm-hmm. in a sense. Yep. Uh, it's, it's almost like any good artist, any good teacher should be like, there's a thing mm-hmm. and we're all gazing at it. Right. You know, yep. and we're stumbling. I love the phrase stumbling along the way mm-hmm. is like, that's a Peterson um, yeah. quote. Um, but that's exactly it. Like we're stumbling along the way um, to truth. Right. Um, and this is what I see. Can you see it too? Right. Or, right. you know, like that's. This is what Charlotte yeah. Mason calls like the presentation of living ideas and that like they're, they're presented in a way that they're still alive. And uh, Peugeot has made this point too. It's like when you want you, when you have to analyze something, when you want to be specific about it, you have to kill it. Yeah. It's like a bug. You have to pin it down and then you can analyze it. Yeah. 
So if it's not a living idea, it's because you've killed it. Saying like, oh, I, I can I can discover the totality of this insect. Yeah. And so I'm going to pin it down and then analyze it as opposed to letting it live and be. And that's what you're presenting, right. a living idea. And that's what's like, whoa, like that that sounds amazing. Like what a wise homily. That's a, that's a really yeah. interesting point because if our Lord were not to teach in parables uh, and he just said, you know, uh, the kingdom of heaven um, is grand and right. it's fractal, mm-hmm. you know, whatever, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. like use the Pajoian language. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be in a sense to kill the idea of the kingdom of heaven. Right. Because he's like, he, like you said, he's pinning it down using abstract language. Yep. And that's all we can see is that one facet. Yeah. But if something's living, exa- like it, it's able to, it has many facets. Mm-hmm. And, and, and if you're like, let go of it. Right. Um, like, yeah, that's a, that's a good image of and pinning then the w- something down. The way you preach, you know, per your homilies, is like the reason why they resonate is because you're presenting them as living within you. Like that's something that has inspired you first and that you're still wondering at. And yeah. therefore, by its nature, it's a living idea because you haven't yet turned in on yourself and be like, I, I get it. Now I'm going to present it. And it's propaganda. And it's like right, in right. one ear, out the other. Yeah. 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 Um, I, that is uh, that is exactly why. Christ teaches in these in these narratives and parables is because it's not again going back to that principle of a thing is received according to the mode of its receiver. It's if you just preach concepts and ideas, they wouldn't ne- be nearly as powerful. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, it's like the kingdom of heaven mm-hmm. is eternal mm-hmm. and it's infinite. Right, and, right. And it's, yeah. and it's metaphysical. It doesn't belong to this world. People <laughs> will be like, uh, "Cool, okay, like, <laughs> yeah. I guess." And then even um, uh, Dawkins' critique of the Bible. It's like, why didn't God teach them about astrophysics. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's again, it's like because tell me, tell me, you don't know the Bible. Without, <laughs> what the Bible's about without telling me you don't know the, what the Bible's right. about? Because it's like you know, you have a have first century people, and you're like, let me tell you about uh, that, you know, astrophysics. Yeah, 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 it doesn't make any it's sense. Like no one, no one would. I mean, maybe they would write it down and be like, this is very interesting. But like instead of like, like drawing a fish in the same, why didn't he draw F equals M A? Yeah, like, right, right, yeah. right, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but going back to the pinning it down thing, that that's, that's actually funny. the critique of kind of late scholastic universities. Is you actually that's where you get the example of how many angels can fit on the head, on mm. the head of a pin. Mm. You know, uh, it, it, that becomes sort of like a, a mocking satire mm-hmm. of the universities. Is they become so obsessed with this idea that uh, our our reason can answer everything. Right. And I think this was uh, Bernard of Clairvaux's fear is that. It would get out of hand and people would just use their reason to analyze God as mm. opposed to first realizing that knowledge of God comes through contemplation, a living, yeah. mm-hmm. breathing relationship. Right. And from there, you can read all kinds of saints that have critiques of the university that it became dead. That's interesting. I mean, yeah. literally, yeah. You know, so this mm-hmm. idea of like you kill it and you pin yeah. it is the university's main love of God should have been a, a living and breathing mm. thing, but it became sterile, right. dead, analyzing. That's yeah. very interesting. There's um, uh, one poet I read in during my undergrad studies that really like was a seminal um, piece for me that you know got me interested in literature was um, uh, Sir Philip Sidney's An Apology for Poetry, um, and he wrote this um, in the late 1500s, but it's essentially just an essay on uh, why poetry matters. Uh, during his time, um, people were I, I, well, and I don't know if this is just um, simple, like uh, emblematic of his time. I think this is human nature in general. 
but the question of why literature or why art is always in is always a question. It's mm. always a universal question, uh, especially maybe uh, as the you know age of speed and the end of age of industry um, and more modern times came, uh, like in the Enlightenment, um, things were growing more scientific. The question of the immaterial um, uh, studies and, and art came more um, under fire. But anyway, um, Sir Philip Sidney actually um, points to Christ and says, if God found it fitting to teach in stories, then stories must be <laughs> important. Mm-hmm. Um, and he gives a great example of uh, stories as being a sugar-coated pill, mm. where he says, like, uh, the stories wrap um, the bitter truth in something sweet that allows us to actually uh, digest it. Again, going back to that incarnational principle. Um, it, it's in- interesting. So the the first reading from Wisdom talks a little bit about is, um, you know, kind of God's mercy and kindness. And then in the second, or in the um, the gospel, you have the, the main parable, which is of the weeds mm. and the wheat growing up together. Um, and so there seems to be, if we, if we understand that God's refusal to uproot the weeds from within the church, I guess, or society, mm-hmm. it, it's not a failure of, of justice, but an expression of his mercy. Mm. So, there's, yeah. so there seems to be, uh, in, the, in the first reading from Wisdom and in the Gospel, the parable, this kind of balance of justice and power, uh, power and, and mercy, that they're not, I guess they're not in competition. With, right. with, the, with each mm-hmm. other. But I think it's something people often get wrong is because because God is merciful, he won't ex- uh, exact justice. Right, right. It's a misunderstanding but, of mercy, being like to pull back on justice. Right, right. Mm-hmm. When actually it can be, <laughs> it can be a mercy mm-hmm. to exact justice. Mm-hmm. And then... Well, and there's no mercy without justice. Like, Because yeah, mercy true. essentially means that you have an idea of what is due to another, mm-hmm. and then you are suspending that rule mm-hmm. in specific cases. But that rule has to exist in order for it to be suspended, in a sense, right? Right. Um, and it's not, it's not, um, mercy is not injustice, mm-hmm. where it's um, saying, like, I'm not giving you your due. Right. Um, but it's, I think it's, it's, it's allowing for a person to, allowing for a person the opportunity to grow into what he ought to be, right? The wheat. Um, yeah. yeah. And I think that there's also a sense of the time of, um, like, you know, uh, it's interesting that our Lord says, if you pull up the weeds now, you might uproot the wheat along with them. Mm. Uh, almost like a, it's like it might be a scandal mm-hmm. um, to some, and they might lose their way um, if mercy was not shown, in a sense. Mm. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, because they're, they're yeah. I, I guess, getting, getting into that, there could be people... You know, uh, who are weeds who might be wheat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But if you were to, because uh, the first reading is much about, is very much about this, this leniency and kind of like waiting to mm-hmm. give people the chance yeah. to repent. And so if, if you just say, well, let's, let's reap now. It's like, well, then, you know, you, d- you didn't give the people uh, yeah. the proper time. Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Um, to, to, re- to, you know, repent and, you know, metanoia and all mm-hmm. that. Um, so you're right. So it's, it would be a scandal in a sense to to reap. Yeah, and there's yeah, and that speaks really to the sense of God's patience. Uh, 
in, in a sense also of like, again, like our, even our Lord is showing us the example of not grasping immediately, um, but allowing things to unfold properly, mm. right? There's a proper time, there's a proper um, allowance to let the thing live, right? Like mm-hmm. even our Lord will not pin us down Mm. To say, like, you know, this is who you are now and you deserve hell or heaven. Right. Uh, there's a sense of letting us grow to almost like we're under the microscope. <laughs> mm. And um, we are ourselves mysteries, right? Uh, and so to allow us to, to the freedom to, to grow in his love, as it were. Mm. Um, so, yeah. I mean, we, we didn't really, you know, we spent most of this episode dissecting the nature of parables and stories. But of course, you know, as as any gospel passage shows us, <laughs> uh, they're inexhaustible. Uh, yeah. and, and you can, you know, we, we didn't really even get into the nature of the parables themselves, the, mm. expo- the um, um, specific parables, which we could have done, but we didn't. <laughs> so. <laughs> uh, so. Um, let's jump to the bonus if you guys are ready um we're going to talk about uh the sound of freedom demonic influence etc got some thoughts on all those things related um you can sign up at basically to hear the bonus episodes that we do weekly we'll see you later